This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Hey everybody, thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the fallout from the Senate vote and the uh, response of several politicians and how they're handling what happened with the Orlando shooting and the lack of political will to get any legislation done. Now, this show is a little bit shorter than our normal episodes. We had some technical issues, so the show ends kind of abruptly. Uh, I apologize for that. Part of the reason is that we are working on a special show that we're going to record tomorrow to have some fun with. Uh, in the meantime, I hope you enjoy our regular program. This is just a little bit of a political discussion that we normally do, uh, and it's our show. Uh, thank you so much for downloading our, our podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Chi-Town Podcast One, and you can email us, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sarandos, joined over the interwebs and Skype uh, by my good buddy, AJ Signeri. AJ, say hello to the people. Hey, people. We want to bring you, uh, before we get started on the show, as we're recording this right now on uh, June 22nd, 2016, the House Democrats are currently staging a sit-in in the House floor to try to push the Republican delegation to address at least some measure of gun control and or uh, address what they can do to minimize gun violence. And this is Representative uh, John Lewis from Georgia speaking on the House floor. We have lost hundreds and thousands of innocent people to gun violence. Tiny, your children, babies, students, and teachers, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, daughters and sons friends and neighbors, and what has this body done? Mr. Speaker, nothing, not one thing. We have turned a deaf ears. We have turned deaf ears to the blood of the innocent and the concern of our nation. We are blind to a crisis. Mr. Speaker, where is the heart of this body? Where is our soul? Where is our moral leadership? Where is our courage? Now is the time for us to find a way to dramatize it, to make it real. We have to occupy the floor of the House until there's action. Rise up, Democrats. Rise up, Americans. This cannot stand. That was from the House floor in Washington, D.C., uh, Representative John Lewis uh, addressing Congress and asking and demanding uh, for some time on the floor to discuss, well, reasonable gun control measures that, of course, the Senate voted on on Monday and uh, lost all four votes, including my favorite, A.J., which is the vote to stop people on the terrorism watch list from getting guns. Right. Because, oh, God damn it, dude. Like, terrorists, people on the terrorism watch list, those people can't fly, but they can buy a gun. Think about that. Right. 
It's just, it's, it's, oh, God, man. And they, 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 they're sitting as a sitting. Like, they have to basically beg for floor time to talk about an issue that is affecting everybody. And nobody seems to give a damn. And most notably, the Republican's darling child, Paul Ryan, just seems to keep going to the NRA and what they want because they have the most powerful lobby in Washington uh, other than defense contractors, it's 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 just completely asinine. And everyone you talk to, even the most staunch gun supporters, think that people on the terrorism watch list probably shouldn't be able to buy guns, and they still do nothing. So I'm curious, AJ, and, and I'll give you here. Uh, we like to break it out every now and then. Not every show, but every once in a while, let's get it out of the closet, dust that shit off. All right, here we go. Hold on. AJ Signeri, there is your soapbox. I present to you the floor of the show. It, it's really funny how Republicans will just say, you know, this is a problem. Terrorism is a problem. Um, all these issues that we have in the United States is a problem. But when you had a senator from Connecticut who took up nearly 15 hours of the Senate floor to talk about gun violence. And Cory Brooker was involved. Majority of the Senate Democrats talked about it and a couple of um, Republican senators as well. And, and what showed? You had four bills in the Senate that didn't get passed. You have House Democrats... Uh, led by John Lewis, who is using his tools of the trade during his civil rights movement of occupying the uh, house well. So that way they can actually talk about gun violence. And that's, the, that's, that's what's a- so asinine, is that all, even these elected officials need permission to even talk about gun violence. And that's something that really needs to stop right now, that we need to stop asking permission to do something. And this is like one of the problems I have with the state right now is this is an issue. This is an issue. Housing's an issue. Food's an issue. Clothing's an issue. Accessibility's an issue. Social justice issues are the issue. And yet, we still need permission to talk about this and have public and social policies that really need to be pushed forward in everything. But they can't because you have two parties who are really not doing anything. I mean, Senator Murphy is doing something. John Lewis is doing something. Other people are doing something, and that's applaudable. You know, I don't, I, I don't like cutting you off in the middle of it, but I, I just – but they're not doing anything. They are right. attempting, as you said, to talk. That's all they want. Right. Like they're not even they're not even doing this stuff to like, oh, if I stand here for fifteen hours, suddenly gun control will get passed. They're doing what they're doing just to be able to have, you know, an honest debate about a serious issue. And even that is countered at every possible turn. Because and I honestly think it's because people are starting to realize that 
the longer that it's talked about, the less tenable the position on the right when it comes to gun control is. And just the fact that we've had Sandy Hook, you know, 18 kids killed. We've got Orlando, 53 people killed. And, or, or is it 49 or is it 53 now? I think 53 have now officially passed. And it's, we, we can't do anything. I, I had this argument with a friend of mine who, who says, you know, if you make, you know, just on the, the, the idea of like taking guns away or making guns harder to get won't stop the violence. And you have to look at these people and go, are you, so what are you saying? Are you saying that Americans are just inherently more violent than any other people? Because we are killing each other here in this country at a rate much higher than the rest of the world. And the only difference between us and those countries that I can perceive is that we have guns and that, you know, America. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Those are the only real differences. And yet we allow this shit to keep happening and nobody seems to care. And I'm getting so, every day that passes that a bill isn't passed, AJ, I'm getting so much more disheartened and, and saddened that there comes a point where you're just like, why do I, you always used to say, you know, you, you, you do it because you do it, like the fighting of the good fight. But there comes a point where it's just like, why do I keep getting myself so emotionally involved and, and trying to help if, the overwhelming opinion seems to be, I don't give a shit if people die. Because that's, that, that is the only vibe that I am getting right now from public officials. And that's absolutely right. You know, and then that's like where I was heading is that, you know, there's been legislation upon legislation, both at the federal and state levels, that have always been introduced, you know, and... Unfortunately, they have always been stuck in the rules committee or they've been moved forward, but then they go through that, you know, awful roller coaster of, you know, going here, going there, going that committee, this committee, oh, this needs to be reworded, that needs to be reassigned, this is something else. And we don't see that legislation in the light of day ever again. And so I've just been really tired of. You know, we, why do we, we need public policy to begin with? I mean, there are people who are doing stuff now that doesn't even require any form of passing any legislation. And there are people who are working in their communities to make sure gun violence is not happening in their streets. There's people, like I know in Chicago, who I currently talk to gang leaders just to make sure that there is no gang activity happening in the streets or in their neighborhood or block. And they have to go through some of those nuances of like, you know, if you stay on this side, if you, if this, if you go over here, they have to negotiate with them. But at the end of the day, they still work with people who are committing the violence. And there are also people that are out of our control, but, if we can continue to provide the accessibility such as mental health care, such as, you know, actually education. I don't mind educating people about a firearm, you know. I really, I'm really not. I mean, I'd rather teach someone what the firearm is so that they have a better understanding of what that tool is and why an AR-15 is 
you know, something no one should have or even a Glock for that matter. But if people understand what is before them, then you have, I feel you can curb the violence better if you actually show them that kind of education. But really, and I'm really emphasizing this, that really showing people that if you can control your own community and trying to fight for accessibility when it comes to healthcare, then those are other two other prongs when it comes to curbing gun violence in the United States. I know that it wasn't shocking what happened on Monday with the vote, but, and I, I believe, what was it, four Republicans actually voted for the bill? Is that yes. what they said? Yes. Um, which tells us at least a little bit, one of them being Mark Kirk uh, here in Illinois, who's still going to lose, and, and rightfully so. But, or at least in my humble opinion, rightfully so. I don't know if you if you like that Republican, AJ, or not. I, I, I've never liked Kirk from the beginning with. It's unfortunate what's happened to him, but I've never liked him. Well, and it's just, get ready, ladies and gentlemen, if you live in this state, uh, that once August hits, start seeing the, the commercials that paint Mark Kirk as a gun-hating Nazi because of his vote on that bill, Uh it's, it's, it's getting to the point with this stuff. Like, there's there's reports going around that this week 30,000 AR-15s were sold because people are afraid that they were going to get banned. And we talked about this last week, AJ. We've talked about this before, but there's actually an economic reason for gun companies to want these shootings to keep happening because every time one happens, their sales spike and they get, you know, a financial benefit for the quarter. Probably a lot of them get bonuses, which in a weird way, incentivizes them to allow people to keep getting killed because they're able to make more money, which is disgusting, but it's just the way that it is. And I think also, though, that this legislation, this crisis, which is what we got to start calling it, is very indicative of the problem that is much larger than just gun control, and that is the power of lobbyists and money in politics. And I want to talk to you about that for a few minutes here. I, I want to get into, I, you've been involved in political campaigns. You've talked before about your attempted run at a congressional seat. Uh, even though it was, it was a long shot effort, it was just something to try. And the money. Well, it was actually a state run, state run seat. Sorry, state run seat. It's, it's one of those things though, where you kind of go, all right, look, it may be money. It, maybe it's not legalized bribery. If you want to go that route and you want to take people at their word, fine. But when all the people who are being polled are saying this, their constituents in their districts are saying something, and then congressmen and senators are actively going against what their constitu constituents constituency wishes, that to me shows that either it's bribery or – and this is what it is more likely to me. They just don't give a shit and they're not doing their damn jobs. And the money in politics thing is not just affecting guns. The, the longer that money stays in politics at the level that it's at, we do not get any definitive movement on environmental uh, changes for, for climate change. We're not moving forward in any sort of progressive tax uh, 
I don't know how you want to put it, fixes or, or improvements to make sure that the tax system is working. We're not closing it up for those loopholes. We're not able to engage or to even really fight against the idea of America having been in two wars for 13 years, which, for the record, is something we need to start talking about a lot more in this country. It's the fact that we've been at war since 2002. It is now 2016. That is a 14-year war. Vietnam was 15. That's how long we've been at war. We have now been at war in two countries for as long as the Vietnam War, and nobody seems to give a shit. And we constantly are being told that there is a terrorism threat, that there is some sort of, we have a virus that's destroying what will be the Olympics, and there seems to be no real movement on that issue either. And all of these things that we have no political will to do anything going forward because it hurts the profit line of these major corporations who are paying for politicians. Until you fix that, AJ, none of this is ever going to get resolved. So, and nobody, with the exception of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, are, are talking about this issue, really. And that's the issue that I think that needs to be talked about even more than the gun control. Do you think I'm wrong with that? Or do you think that that's, I think that that's really what's stymieing everything. Well, it's interesting because I was at a public meeting couple of weeks back and someone thought the the magic bullet with all of this is you know changing campaign finance reform and and because and with that it, it will solve everything now that's good insofar that it will stop certain lobbying efforts certain interest group efforts to pay politicians um to have their issue to be heard. But that's still not going to stop the career politician who's still going to find ways to get their interests on their agenda and everything. Um, you're right. I mean, Bernie Sanders hasn't talked about it enough. Even Elizabeth Warren hasn't talked about it enough. Um, and I really don't know the answer to this other than you know there's a we you know we throw a lot of terms out there such as terrorism um violence and other things related to that and even though some of them are very directed but if you look at how they're used they're always blanket terms you know because like terrorism, I mean, anything's in order to have terrorism, you have to have a have a political motive when it comes to terrorism, you know. And so, not everything's a terrorist action. You know, I, I think that that's also important to to, to say because there is a, a perception amongst the people that I talk to, like, why do terrorism? What do terrorists want? Well, they want to kill us. Okay, that is not their end goal. Like right. it's 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 step two of their seven step process to bring about the caliphate, to bring about, you know, the Islamic paradise. They believe that that's the only way that they can do it. But they do have a political objective, a geopolitical objective. Now, you might disagree with it. I disagree with it. A lot of people do. But it's a, you, you can't defeat an enemy until you know what the enemy wants. Well, that's the thing. And terrorism is not usually the first line of reaction to a group there had to have been other steps along the way in order for that to happen having said that and i said this 
to a, a seminar once about terrorism. Like, you cannot fight an autonomous organization like ISIS as if it's like a centralized organization because ISIS is everywhere, quote unquote, because, and I say quote unquote because it is really concentrated in one area. It's not like around the world that we know of. So having said that, I mean, you can't like, so like the Soviet Union, Soviet Union was a very centralized organization. There is no Soviet Union. Soviet Union does not exist as threat. There is only the People's Republic of the Soviet Russia. Right. We are very much respectful of of sovereign borders and will make no attempts whatsoever to conquer Afghanistan. Meanwhile, I must send thanks to Afghanistan. Goodbye. See, so when you had the Soviet Union, you knew where it was at. You knew it was at the Kremlin. You knew it was elsewhere. You know, it was at number 10, Dzerzhinsky Square. Former you know, headquarters of KGB, now headquarters of FSB or Foreign Services Bureau. I read a lot of Tom Clancy. With with ISIS, you you really can't fight that because, like I said, they're autonomous. Well, and, and then you and, get into the idea also of like this kid in Orlando who this kid, this horrible human being in Orlando, who's like, oh yeah, I did this for ISIS. And it's like, yeah, he said that. And people are like, oh, he's a, ter- he's, he's a Muslim terrorist. And you kind of look at it and go, no, he would have shot that nightclub up if there was no ISIS. It just happened that he was able to say that. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, and he, in, in reports I've seen, like, he has pledge allegiance to Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, and recently ISIS. And for, all four of them separately have their own political philosophies that go against the other one, you know? So obviously this person was, was very, um, his mind was very malleable when it comes to that kind of ideology. But more of the point is this with violence. And I wish I could, uh, um, had the book write me right next to me right now. Um, one of the, the political philosophers that I turn to every and that philosopher is uh, Zizek, um, Z-I-Z-E-K. Um, he taught at, he teaches at the European Graduate School as well as um, other European universities. And um, he comes from the Balkan area of Europe, the Balkan states area, him and a few other um, European philosophers that came out of Yugoslavia, um, uh, the Albanian area, all that area that really saw violence up front and personal. So when you had like Zizek, um, Grubaka, all of those philosophers who then, you know, got into academia and they started talking more about what violence is and everything. So in 08, Zizek wrote this book, Violence, and what he explores and examines really is more about how systemic violence is the catalyst to everything that what's going on. So you may have something called divine violence, which propels like suicide bombers and the unseen systemic violence that lies behind certain outbursts and everything, whether it's like Algerians in Paris 
um, whether it's what's going on in the Middle East, what's going on in Eastern Europe, what goes on in the United States. You know, everything, there's violence that's a, that occurs. Um, there's some sort of systemic violence that's already in play. But the only thing that we see at the very surface is what's called um, subjective violence. And that's violence with a clear identi- identifiable agent, you know. So, so the murderer at Orlando is just a tip of the iceberg of the very things that drove that person to do what he did, you know. So violence is never at, it's never one thing. It's not like this. Here's violence, you know, like shoot, go. There's more to it than that. Someone had to be driven in order to shoot somebody. Um, suicide bombers have to have some sort of um, agenda in order for them to do that. So violence never starts and ends by someone saying, I'm just going to kill someone today or I'm just going to blow something up. There had to have been something else. And there also has to be um, groups within those violent acts that are supporting such conduct. I breathe heavily into the microphone there because I don't really have any follow-up to anything right now. And I, I, I feel bad, AJ, because I do. I wish that you and I could fix it with a magic wand. And that's not what's going to happen. This is the political equivalent of trying to lose 100 pounds. You know, It is. And, it, and, and I guess, you know, a good friend of mine in Chicago said this. You know, we were talking about police crimes in Chicago. And, and I point blank looked at my friend and I go, so what will it take for those in the south and west side of Chicago to turn in their guns, whether they're registered or not. And so that person looked at me and just said, um, as soon as the last policeman turns their gun in, I'll be the first one to turn mine in. And you know what? I feel like that's uh, right there is the gun control argument, because if you ask a responsible gun owner, which is a fucking oxymoron, uh, what they would say is, well, as soon as all the criminals don't have guns, I'll be more than willing to give up mine, which they wouldn't, but that's not the point. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Go ahead, do AJ. Do you think, do you think that's, that's a fair statement to make? But, I mean, that one's just for police crimes, but just the idea of, you know, when the last Second Amendment gun owner turns their last gun in, then all of us who are responsible gun owners will be the first ones to turn ours in as well. No, I don't think so. I don't think. I honestly believe, I think that this year, these last couple of years, the rise of Trump, the uh, Sandy Hook, uh, the movie theater with the Dark Knight in 2012, all of it, and the, the reaction to it all, AJ, I, and, and I hate saying this because I've always been a man who hopes for the future, but barring, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to say it because we're going to segue into it anyway for the second half of the show, barring an alien invasion, nothing's ever going to change. Like, I, I honestly believe that. I honestly believe that now at this point. I think that we are so set 
on maintaining what we think of as the status quo that majority of people in the world especially in the united states do not give a shit about the next 50 years they only care about the next year is 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 our great weakness um there are cultures in, in history that are known for playing the long game china russia england was for a while but once they started going for short-term profits they their empire fell uh, France, the same thing. Any country that gets comfortable and stops planning for long-term growth dies. Rome, you know, you can go through history. Name any ancient civilization. Once they stopped growing, once they reached a point where they where people started to say no more growth, no more changing who we are. This is what we want. The, the situation it, it, it can't sustain itself. I honestly believe that we are looking at. The last 40 years of American dominance on the geopolitical scene, I believe that. I don't think that we're going to change enough or adapt enough to the future to to maintain viability. I mean, we all make fun of Putin, and he's basically a Bond villain, but at least he's playing chess, and the rest of the world is apparently playing checkers. Well, that's the thing. If you look at all those um, civilizations and empires that failed, um, one could argue that, well, they failed because not only you had that greedy person or a group of greedy people were the linchpin for the demise of those empires, but it's also because of the way there was no technology on their behalf to advance them forward or their military tactics were so antiquated or about to be antiquated because of how they were taught years before. But when you have the United States, who is now on this globalization effort, this American exceptionalism, exceptionalism on a global level, and that's what we have. You know, When you have the United States being an empire with its military bases around the globe and pushing NAFTA, CAFTA, and soon-to-be TPP efforts on a global level, and you started doing these free trade agreements with, and, and other outlets, whether it's public-private partnerships or related to those things, when you have American exceptionalism as your foundation to stay alive, it's then you may see something that all of us have said a while back about this new world order. And that may sound very conspiracy theorist, but I mean, that's what it, it looks like at, at the, at the face value, you know, that there is this possible new world order when you have the United States doing like imperialistic efforts where, like I said before, Guns, bullets, accessories are made elsewhere but the United States. And when you start doing that and start controlling those other places in the name of, you know, manifest destiny, then one could say that, you know, the United States could take over the world. I'm sorry, you were talking about the New World Order? That's right. New World Order. Order. I actually want to tell everybody a funny story about that since you mentioned the New World Order, AJ. My uh, name is Reza Romo. No. Hey, Chico. 
say goodnight to the bad guy. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but ever since the thing in Orlando happened, one of the things that I've gotten a kick out of is that the few conspiracy theorists who are, in fact, on my Facebook feed have been posting about how this is all a plot by the New World Order to destroy America as we see fit, going back to the 1800s. And every single time I post that, or I see that posted, I immediately respond with the NWO logo from the 90s, and then the message underneath that this message has been brought to you by the NWO. <laughs> I, think, I think that that's funny. Because... Yeah, 90s wrestling, folks. There it is. NWO. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, This has been the Chicago Podcast Network. As I said, we had some technical issues. Our show is a little bit shorter than normally today. We will be back with a special edition of our show tomorrow. Uh, You don't want to miss it. We're going to be having a lot of fun with it. Uh, Please tune in and enjoy again you can find us on facebook chicago podcast network find us on twitter chi-town podcast one and you can email us chicago podcast network at gmail.com thank you so much for listening we out 106 miles to chicago we got a full tank of gas half a pack of cigarettes it's dark and we're wearing sunglasses hit it you have been listening to the chicago podcast network